0: This weekend at Shirler Sundays with Markley Morrison.
1: Jenner Riffus. Find my way.
0: Sunday at 3 p.m., outdoors, behind the Carnegie Library, in Olympia, Washington. All ages. More info available at shurderbeer.com. What's up? This is Markley Morrison, and you're listening to the Season 5 finale of Low Profile. Low Profile. Today I'm joined once again by my co-host Madison Nadine, you might remember from the Martin Rev interview last fall. Earlier this year we went with cameraman and engineer Andrew Ebright to Anacortes, Washington so we could meet up with musician and local historian Brett Lunsford in an old train depot there. Inquiring minds would like to
2: know, who is Brett Lunsford? Wait, is, is that Calvin Johnson? This is Calvin Johnson. Brett Lunsford is a pal of mine. He's actually a Anacortes, Washington native, and currently the director of the Anacortes History Museum, which is very appropriate because he's always been a cultural historian. The flora, the fauna, the native populations, and the underground weirdo culture. Brett and I have played music over the years. Beat happening. What's forbidden is a treasure hidden. I got a clue on the trail to finding all about you. His band D Plus has toured with. My other combo, Narcotic Sound System, uh, extensively across the United States of America. And, of course, he was one of the instigators of the What the Heck Festival in uh, Anacortes, where I have performed a few times over the years.
0: Thanks, Calvin. You are welcome. So, anyway, Brett recently wrote a book called Sounding for Harry Smith, Early Pacific Northwest Influences. To give a little background on who Harry Smith was, here's the Holy Modal Rounders co-founder, living legend, and returning low-profile guest, Peter Stampful.
3: Bob Dylan said, if not for the Smith Anthology, there wouldn't be a Bob Dylan. The Smith, is Harry Smith, the Smith Anthology was a six LP collection of 78 RPM tracks from between 1927 and 1933, basically folk music taken from what was then called Hibley Records, White and Race Records, Black. The anthology was released in 1952 coincidentally, the first year in which there were no lynchings in the United States and the year mad comics were introduced and about when rock and roll was born the anthology has been referred to as the roots of the roots of rock and roll it's the first place i heard charlie Patton, for Howell and wolf and robert johnson how to play and uncle bade manken and the carter family and mississippi john and cajun music and shape note music and a lot more Harry intention was for the anthology to change the world and it actually did for starters, besides changing Dylan's life, it changed mine and that upcoming thousands of others it made me realize that the world was way more strange and complicated than I had previously thought coincidentally I first heard the anthology in October of 1956. Uh, the anthology paved the way for the music that was introduced to the world via the Con Brothers' film, Old oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Besides, uh, the anthology Smith, among other things, made strange films, collected Ukrainian Easter eggs and paper airplanes and string games like Cat's Cradle by the thousands. <laughs> I made thousands of recordings on cassette recorders, reel-to-reels, wire recorders way back in World War II, and studio recordings like the Bugs first record in 1965. He even used a telephone answering machine. Google him if you want to know more, and listen to the anthology. Maybe it'll change your life too.
0: Thanks, Peter. Okay, so along with Brett's book, we'll also be talking about his music. Here's singer-songwriter Billy Joel on the D-plus album, Deception Pass. Hmm, looks like the call was dropped. Oh well, we'll catch you next time, Billy. Hi, Brett. Hi, great to be here with both of you. Where are we? Can you tell me about this wonderful place?
4: We are in the uh, Great Northern Train Depot in Anacortes, Washington.
0: And so this was the first train depot, or actually, no,
4: it was built in 1911, uh, 20 years after the first depots were built in Anacortes, um, right on the waterfront uh, and in the heart of downtown a site of a lot of uh, rock and roll shows here in the 80s and 90s. Oh, okay. We had uh, my brother, John, and some of his friends organized some punk shows here with their uh, band called The Spoiled. Um, was was a, Classmates of mine formed a band, and uh, John's band was called Public Service, and they put on some great shows here. 300 people from you know high school kids would come, and um, and it was really a different kind of atmosphere. It was before kind of insurance concerns made a lot of venues um, crack down on on uh, events like that, and it was uh, a lot of fun. Then then beat happening did some shows here with uh, anyone from the Wimps. Uh, the Olympia Wimps not the Seattle Wimps mm-hmm. uh, the uh, young pioneers um, girl trouble screaming trees uh, so lots of lots of great shows and great memories here great
0: so yeah and you you grown up in Anacortes and pretty much remained here
4: mm-hmm. still well, growing
0: still growing <laughs> yeah still going um, you mentioned Beat Happening, for people who don't know, that was a pretty influential band that you got to take part in. Yes. Yeah,
5: where did, when, yeah, when did that start?
4: I had been living in, in Tucson, Arizona, because mm-hmm. I, you know, grew up in Anacortes, but when you're 18 and you're from a small town. Kind of want to get out. Yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) We switched
3: spots. (laughs) Yeah,
4: so I was like uh, gonna travel to Mexico. My friend Eric Pappertz and I bought a van and drove down to through California. It breaking down along the way in uh, different locations. And then it um, in Tucson, I had a family friend that lived there, and so we stayed there for a couple months. Um, And then I went back the next the next winter and um because there's so so many great bands playing in and bands touring through just saw incredible shows social distortion and circle jerks and uh minor threat and uh Husker du, all playing at this bar called the backstage oh, wow. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that and had moved back to, uh, the, to Washington State and on the way stopped in an Olympia and saw a show at the Smithfield Cafe, which had these incredible groups playing and uh, just as power as some of the, the hardcore shows I'd been seeing, but not punk in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John Foster and the Pop Philosophers, uh, and Laura Heather and Calvin performed at that show and mm-hmm. it was um, really impressive to me the the power of what the what they were doing just um, with their songs mm-hmm. and uh, I became a a big fan of them and then eventually over the course of the next few months was invited to join the band with Heather and Calvin. And at that, that point, it became Beat Happening.
3: Mm. I heard you talk last night. Couldn't even speak a word. Love has got me by the tongue. It's nothing you haven't heard. In between what's true and false.
0: In between what's loud and soft. And so did you move? to Olympia and stay there right away?
4: Yeah, I had I had, had plans to go to Evergreen. Uh, I had friends there become familiar with it. And so after two years off from high school, I was ready to go back to school and, and got an apartment downtown in the Martin Apartments. And, uh, and that's uh, just to love the next five years there
5: so you were touring and doing school or did you like kind of you were like okay now i'm doing evergreen yeah how did beat happening and evergreen overlap or did they not
4: yeah so we just um started doing some um shows at parties and um there was a venue that started there downtown called the tropicana and we did some shows there and and here in the depot um and we did our first some of our first recordings and on the evergreen campus uh, produced by greg sage and those were really uh, that was a really influential session because he just worked this magic that when we heard back what he recorded of us for me anyway it's like oh wow this is this is a real band in a way that when you're just hearing yourself at a party and you're getting those reactions, you're not maybe thinking that there's um, about the meaning and, and the significance of the work.
0: If you could would you fly
5: away, stick around for another day.
4: Actually one of the the dares that was part of the formation of the band was Calvin said, well we're gonna go to Japan. Mm-hmm. and on tour like mm-hmm. so before oh, wow. anybody knew anything before we had any did, recordings did you
0: have a out. you set list yet or yeah. we
4: made arrangements to go to japan and um and stayed there for two months uh thanks to the uh the uh miyaki family whose um daughter uh calvin had met as an exchange student in in um at evergreen oh. and then um she later was a um went to Anacortes High School and stayed with my mom after we'd stayed with her parents and in an apartment they got for us. But we did some shows in Tokyo. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, just kind of uh, didn't make sense to do, but we did it anyway. And I think it was a, um, a bonding uh, for the band as a sure. band that um, we yeah. did, did some recordings in our apartment and then got back and... Did stuff. I, you know, the, the chronology of it. It would be a lot more accurate probably if I were looking at a timeline. Because at this point, it's quite a ways ago. But yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, was essentially done with with um, Evergreen in 1987, and, mm. and then moved back to Anacortes and oh. back home. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. And it was a the draw was my family was here. I mean, in, in, um, and also I'd been doing kind of, you know, being on tour, seeing, um, creative communities mm-hmm. around the country, uh, and, and, and around in, in Japan and Europe anyway, um, you know, what it's intriguing to think about what makes, um, uh, what's the infrastructure around. Creativity and the personalities that inhabit that Mm -hmm. that creative environment Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about well, I've Not that I'd outgrown Olympia, but I was just it didn't feel like home and I was developing a sense Mm -hmm. at that time that there was a feeling of home that I um, This place marked for me and so um I came back and started uh working at a little camera bookshop called The Business that my friend Glenn uh ran and and he was very flexible with, with um absences for tours and so um I would take a few weeks off here and a few weeks off there and a couple of months here and, and travel doing beat happening stuff. And then uh, come back home and eventually I bought that business from him and uh, I, I tried to bring, bring all of the things that I learned about community and, and um, do-it-yourself culture yeah. from Olympia mm-hmm. and apply it here so doing things like the um, Know Your Own label which is uh, yeah. our, um, our little um, collective endeavor
0: that's turning uh, 35 right? Yeah,
4: I, I guess probably yeah.
0: I think I I, I crunched some numbers earlier. Yeah, yeah and, uh, good. Yeah, we should have yeah. some
4: sort of uh, celebration, yeah. but that's still you know it's um. It's just so so important to me to um, to hear what people are doing creatively and to invite that mm-hmm. in in myself and in the people that I know. And I'm, you know, I think that obviously from the, the your emphasis with this, this program that you're doing, it's, uh, you're showing that interest in what people are doing creatively. And I, I think yeah. that there's, people need encouragement to be creative because there's um, a lot of uh, potential stop signs and barriers. Mm-hmm. To doing that but i really believe that uh you know if you have a sense of of things that should exist in the world that you can be a part of making that maybe you should be doing that
5: i'm just curious about um like when you started to maybe lean towards writing the book
0: sounding for harry smith early pacific northwest influences hold it up but we'll probably get just a still shot of it too, for the listener. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is, this is like an intense, heavy work that you-
5: This is
0: like dense. I,
4: it's over two pounds. Yeah. It's over
0: two pounds, it's beautifully printed and it's just rich with information. And um, yeah, I, I mean, if I may, my take, away from it was I was expecting more of like a biography about Harry Smith and instead it's more of a what I got from it was it's like a gives you a background to the culture that shaped him that's very specific to the Northwest and specifically like the San Juan Islands. Um,
4: Yeah, Yeah, that's what made sense to me to do.
0: those who don't know who who's Harry Smith, right? And why Harry Smith?
4: Sure, sure. Uh, well, I, uh, got, I can't remember if it was a phone call or a, might've been a letter from Hugh Holden who, uh, was a friend, um, and asking about, he'd been reading a, a book on Harry Smith. I think it, the book he was reading was "Think of the Self Speaking," and he said, "Have you heard of this guy from Anacortes named Harry Smith who uh, lived in an old cannery and built the Land of Oz there? You know, have you heard of anything about this?" Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, hadn't heard about. At that point, I ran, I ran a record store, and yeah.
5: uh, what year is this? Like night,
4: It was probably uh, 2000 uh four or five. Oh wow I immediately became intrigued because the just as he was talking about somebody who well I think he sent me the book and I started reading that book and like oh my goodness this is somebody that uh had this profound uh international influence mm-hmm. and grew up in Anacorta so I called up People. Well, I, I happened to collect um, Anacortes High School yearbooks at the time, ah, so okay. I was able to pull a yearbook off of my shelf and uh, do kind of doing the math and, and finding a picture of him as the um, the mm. fresh in his freshman year at Anacortes High School, and look and see who was in his class and started calling up people um, cool. that may have known him from mm. school. Mm-hmm. In his years in Anacortis. and so I called Wally Funk and um, Irv Ryberg, and um, they put me on to Jack Wells, and these are all people who who uh, had were friends of Harry's. Yeah,
5: Jack in the book, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: And um, we I did uh, interviews with them just on cassette, and um, and then when Ronnie Singh the director of the Harry Smith Archive was going to plan to visit Anacortes, I arranged uh, a interview um, here and invited uh, my friend Jim Thompson, from the, um, who's a, a videography teacher here at the Anacortes High School. He brought his cameras down, Phil Elbram was here um, holding the, the mic, and uh, we did interviews with all of them. and. Um, right here. Yeah, right here where yeah, we're yeah. where we're sitting now, and um, and they're all gone now. So I was. Uh, it's one of those things. If you have a thought to um, do interviews or oral histories or videotape, uh, do it now. You know, yeah. just grab your phone, hit voice memos, talk to your grandmother, talk to the the person that you think. You know, oh, I want to record this conversation. Whether or not you turn it into anything public or not, just to have that—it's you can't go back and do it afterwards. And so many people I talk to in my work—you know—I've been doing history work in this small town, and uh, so many times the refrain that people say is, "Oh, I wish, I wish I'd talked to my my grandparents more while they were here."
5: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, at a certain point in history, we can only kind of ref, like assume or refer you know and then it's really fascinating I think to know the lived experience of people that like had direct relation I think that because um, sometimes there could I'm thinking of something different but the importance of getting the direct story I think is just really interesting especially not knowing Harry too right I mean he's been gone since yeah. 91 yeah. right yeah and
4: I never knew him yeah so, yeah it's like and yeah. that, I, I just was trying to um, learn as much as I could about the habitat the mm-hmm. creative community um, or the non-creative community <laughs> It just yeah. what the nature of growing up here in the um, 30s and 40s was like for the people who did it and and that was a fascinating, uh, fascinating subject for me, and and I did a number of surveys and and other interviews to try to flesh that out. Not meanwhile doing research in old newspapers and yeah. and um, one of the uh, people in town who was legendary was uh, Henrietta Blaisdell, who who went by the name One Bubble. Yeah. When I met her, um, mm. she was a. Mm-hmm a customer at our uh at our camera shop and and she brought a bunch of uh old negatives into us to have printed in the dark room and spending time i um, you know being in a dark room is a magical environment Mm -hmm. because you're working with these negative images that you can't really see and you're doing a print and watching it come to life in the in the developer before your eyes and it's kind of panning for gold, and um, the imagery that she brought up of her own creative life were was yeah. really inspiring and um, i interviewed her in 1990, um, and she did these illustrated scrapbooks uh, that were um, pretty well known in on Guimas you know like the people she 'd bring out her scrapbooks and she 'd make these photo albums and then she would annotate them and oh. and um, Made numbers of them over the years. Then I, as I was looking through them later, discovered here are these obituaries for Harry Harry's parents. Here's this photo of of Harry with his uh, uh, friends from the Lummi tribe, posed for a photo in that appeared in American magazine in 1943. And she had clipped that out. She had. Uh, the only photos that it, that exist that that have, are, are in the um, maybe some I hope some photos will surface and other stories will surface over the course of time about Harry and his youth. But so much of that had been erased, and all that was present were the um, uh, the stories um, that Harry told, and and some of those were secondhand stories that people recalled him telling, mm-hmm. and they. Um, you know, they're great as stories, but, but I, they're a, from a research perspective, they were a starting point. And, mm-hmm. um, I, like, as I was saying about the, the bubble scrapbooks to find photos of Harry's parents, the only photos that were, that I'd ever seen. Um, it was kind of a, um, It was a real resonant experience to say, "Oh, well, here this path is opening up to continue doing this history work." So,
0: is that connection kind of what made you decide, "Okay, this is a thing I'm sticking to"? Like, how how long did you think you were gonna invest in this project?
4: Well, you know, it's it was on and off, you know. So Uh it wasn't a solid 15 years that I was scribbling at a desk. You know, it was uh, on and off. But the um, the research uh, it took. Time to comb through things, and and um, there were a lot of things about. I didn't know that Harry's family was ultimately a Northwest family, in in that his grandparents had both come here, and his parents had both come here um, in the eighteen nineties, or or um, yeah, I that. and so uh, his parents grew up, his father in Bellingham, his mother um, on Orcas Island and and kind of island hopping around the San Juans as children were raised in the Northwest. And and that was not something that I had known. And it was, that was an important kind of uh, thing to think about.
1: Hi, I'm Anna Winter. Do you love listening to Low Profile? There are several ways you can support this show. You can sign up for flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash low profile at the cost of a cup of coffee once a month. If you join the Patreon community, you can get advanced episode releases, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and early access to merchandise. If you can't contribute financially, it always helps if you tell a friend about your favorite episodes, share about Low Profile on social media, subscribe for free on your favorite podcast platform, and give us a rating and review whenever you listen. Low Profile also receives in-kind support thanks to these independent Olympia businesses, San Francisco Street Bakery, Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Now, let's get to today's show.
0: Yeah, I think when we first met, it was about, yeah, 15, 16 years ago, and you kind of were just catching on to this whole thing. I remember you took us to that big upside down tree where the roots are coming up out of the ground. And you were talking about that Harry Smith and the Aleister Crowley. And at that time, the only thing I knew about Harry Smith was the anthology of American folk music, the blueprint for the future of like, yeah, folk rock, punk rock, country music.
4: Well, and and that uh, I think it's fascinating that people who Harry who Harry knew for for years never heard him talk about that. In fact, didn't necessarily even know that he was connected to that. He, you know, when he was in the village or in Europa, that. uh, and, you know, granted, that's the the pre-internet days, so uh, information is less on your fingertips, but um, it wasn't something that he was, uh, you know, riding on. Yeah. In, in terms of his creative endeavors, he, he, that's what, you know, that he continued to, that he produced the fugs, that he was uh, involved in, uh, uh, other bands that, that were um, happening in the 80s and um, that he was so involved in the communities and inspired community around him. Yeah. That was something that, that uh, I saw when I would read the accounts, that people loved him, that mm-hmm. he, and, and they, um, they connected with the stories he told. And they stayed with him, with them, and and uh, so it's when you think about the um, you know his lifetime accomplishment in that work that was recognized with a, a Grammy award near yeah. his the time you know before he died, and he talked about seeing his dream come true. To think about him having a dream, and then doing work that. Uh, you know, involved some degree of alchemy, perhaps, but, you Mm -hmm. know, to see his life's work realized in that way, um, it's, uh, it, it made a study of how he became who he was and that primary question, uh, did he fall out of the sky being this person or was there a certain, uh, Things that happen in the, the nest of, of Bellingham and yeah. that um that helped him become who he was.
5: Yeah, to conceptualize, to even like compile and collect and like create something in that time period, I think is very, um, I don't know. Sets a precedent, right? Obviously, but I'm like, that's just very, like, he came, like, I don't know, very unique. I don't even, that's. Especially
0: for like a teenager yeah, I'd like to be yeah. just so involved with archiving and be so serious about it. Yeah. Like set up his museum at the cannery. yeah, uh, sounds incredible. He's yeah. got like and then University of Washington came to his little his teenagers shack and museum, whatever whatever he called it. Mm-hmm. And maybe your book had something to do with this, but I was always visualizing it like on the dock.
4: But, but, and I think that's another fascinating part. Of thinking about Harry's boyhood was what it means to be spending time on this massive dock that's reaching out over the the shore of Guimas Channel, and to spend as much time as he did under the dock in his rowboat collecting things for his museum, and mm-hmm. the atmosphere that being under a dock has mm-hmm. is um, it's a, a the way the light is, the way the sound is, um, that you're hidden, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to think about that influence. And when he talked about, uh, you know, what was his inspiration to make film, he talked about, well, just the, the reflection of light on the water was was a primary inspiration to him.
5: Oh my gosh. Yeah. His visual art is just a whole nother... Yeah. I love his art. It's so beautiful. And as someone who like loves surrealism and Dadaism and like expressionism, I can see his like love too for like the collaging kind of like you know I don't know. I feel like he's just kind of like growing and beating off of that influence too.
4: What, the working title of the book was. Uh, Using the Allen Ginsberg quote that refers to him as famous everywhere underground. And I thought that has a, had a good ring to it. Um, mm-hmm. But the more I learned about how multifaceted his endeavors were, yeah. I was just blown away that he was like this, this um, if I had been dreaming of a, a punk rock do-it-yourself patron saint, I would have never attributed to him Anyone, the, the, this fictitious person I might have been inventing, I would have never attributed all of Harry's connections and accomplishments to that person because it would have just been uh, too much, right? Unbelievable. Sure, sure. But in fact, it was. And then he was from my hometown. It's like, okay, you probably uh, need to dig into that. And uh, to, to read uh, that Jonas Mekas say, oh, you somebody's going to research his boyhood. And I thought, oh well, maybe that's me.
5: Wow! Yeah.
0: So the title you just landed on, "Sounding for Harry Smith.
5: Yeah,
4: it uh, you know it has a it's a wordplay thing where there's you know Puget Sound right. and the sound that he worked on and uh, you know throwing yeah. microphones out of uh, windows to just record what was out what the ambient noise of a particular location and yeah. then yeah. then. We, what I found myself doing in the in the research and in the book was because so much wasn't known, uh, I was taking soundings, read, fathoming what was uh, present and but at the same time just telling the story of the place, which of course, you know, trying to follow his studies, which were uh, with you know, here we are in the homeland of the Samish people uh, yeah. on an island, also the um, location of the Swinomish Indian tribal community, uh, and uh, his interest in Coast Salish studies was something that was uh, opens up history to people who are in this place, and you can understand why You know, he was such a deep thinker. He wanted to know where meaning came from, and to spend time as a teenager uh, working on a dictionary of these languages that were the languages of the place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I I thought it would it made sense to um, do as much um, research as I could to to bring um those influences forward as well I, I since doing the book i there's things that i've come across that are like oh man if, if only i you know i found this to put in the book but that's the nature of anything that you do that's a completed project that you know yeah. is going to have an afterlife and and um so i was happy to see uh things come that develop and one of the things that um, I should have known, but um, when I was visiting the Watcom Museum, in fact delivering books to uh, the Watcom Museum store, mm-hmm. uh, we went up to look in the gallery that is uh, uh, based uh, that that was done in collaboration with the Lummi Tribe yeah. on uh, tribal history and. Uh, reading, started looking at this very impressive exhibit and uh, started to read the label cards and here's one, oh, donated by Harry Smith (laughs) and I I kept going, here's a a cedar canoe baler here's a, a cod lure here's a canoe paddle here's all of these things that Harry collected probably both in Anacortes and Bellingham that he ultimately donated to um, what's become the Whatcom Museum. Mm-hmm. And are, uh, there's probably 20 artifacts in this exhibit on uh, Lummi uh, culture and history that were from things that Harry collected and donated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a couple days ago, i was doing research on anacortis americans we got a new batch of anacortis americans that uh it's a
0: local newspaper yeah the
4: local newspaper and i i went through not just the american but various high school newspapers and the other non-digitized Daily Mercury and just kind of painstakingly turned pages and, and randomly came across stories where Harry or his parents um, were present. But um, when you can use a, a, a digitized newspaper and do keyword searches, then you the finding the needle in the haystack becomes a lot more easy. And yeah. uh, so this new batch... Of Americans includes um, the nineteen forties through the sixties and three stories that were significant that uh, I came across. I'll tell you now. An exclusive for sure, yeah. for low profile uh, <laughs> was uh, one of them is that the Nelson School, which was an elementary school um, here in town, had a um, a. Hobby show and the newspaper was writing about salt and pepper collections from all over the 50 states that you know Here's a 242 piece salt and pepper shaker collection. Yeah, and and that 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 Mrs. So-and-so has on display one of the the items on display was a miniature house created by a high school student Harry Smith This is a, a news newspaper story that it's like, why is this high school kid showing building miniature houses and then showing them at a hobby show for a grade school? I mean, that level of community involvement yeah, is yeah. something that, yeah. you know, so much of the, the um, understanding of of outsider artists is that they were outcasts or on the fringes. But that was one of the things that that. I found in from grade school through high school, both in Annecourt and in Bellingham, is that he was very much involved, like performing in the in the high school plays and or, or on the light crew and um, and writing for for um, the newspaper and uh, and doing these things like the hobby show. The other thing that was pretty um, uh, was a revelation was that. Um, for the um, Women's Club in, I think it was March of, of 1942, right before they moved to Bellingham, Harry and his mom did a presentation to, to the Women's Club on Northwest Indians. So that he collaborated with his mother, who was also an expert on the subject, yeah. on right. this presentation. It's like, it shows how... Um, that, that they were uh, that he how much of the support of his parents was present in yeah. the work that he took on
5: yeah I was thinking about that like their relationship and like because he was he'd have siblings no. yeah so it's like this is this is his like immediate community and it seems a rich it seems like there's some richness there too and especially trying to understand like who is this guy how is he so like how like what it like What What is is his environment to create these types of, like, endeavors, endeavors, right? It's super, like, how did it,
0: yeah. Hyper-focused, Yeah. seems like. And you mentioned uh, off the record that you were very intentional about not speculating in this book, just delivering firsthand, secondhand information as best you could, like, without, like, imagining too much. There's one thing that you did in the book where... um, he was talking about how his mother presumably had affairs because she would drop him off at the movies, and you quipped that uh, that maybe his mom was just trying to get some time away from the little tyrant.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that was... Uh, I-, I did um, feel compelled to... Uh, the, to think about uh, Harry's uh, parents as people that were um, maybe, uh, well, he talked about his parents being excellent parents, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but at other times he talked about, you know. Kind of demonized them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. you know, yes. just trying to find a middle ground to imagine that, okay, well, they deserve to be uh, treated as, um, as people, who lived in the community? Who had um, who weren't just um, uh, a part of his mythmaking? Because he did a lot of mythmaking in the stories that he told.
0: Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about too. You mentioned like him doing the lighting for the um, the school plays and things, and how you you kind of said it well that if it hadn't been for Harry Smith. Maybe the Grateful Dead would never have existed.
5: Yeah, I kind of like, you know, these like, yeah, from a yeah from a like, cultural, spiritual like, who knows? I mean, it seems like I mean, clearly influenced Jerry Garcia, right? So. Yeah, I maybe a little different. Who knows if he never found the.
4: Yeah, I think all of these things that are that people fill in the blanks about, and I love reading all of the different perspectives in the, the um, interviews that have been published by his friends and and um, uh, collaborators. Um, but yeah, like also the um, the uh, levitation of the Pentagon. Uh, well, that he was consulted in the preparation for that it was like all these things that are these these uh, uh, parts of counterculture history that are um, are that he was there for. I went to the same elementary school that, that Harry Smith went to, a Whitney school, and cool. my mom and, and her um, her siblings were in there you know, at Whitney in, in the same time frame that Harry was in and grew up in the neighborhood that Harry grew up in. So uh, that was part of the thing of just, you live in a small town, you become aware of the history, and you start thinking about, uh, the footsteps that other people have, have walked and, yeah. um, you know, that, you know, were they, uh, walking to school, seeing each other, were they, uh, you know, at the little community grocery store in the neighborhood, uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my mom talked about going down to the beach, the apex beach, uh, was a place where the neighborhood would go because it was a, one of the sandy beaches in in uh, on Guimas channel and they would uh, go there in the summer to swim
0: is that something that still happens uh, less so swim but, there? less
4: so but I did um, uh, you know now there's a marina where the um, where the apex used to be and uh, so that I think that that beach isn't there, but to the to the um, west of the the Guemes Ferry Dock, which was the site of the Apex and the Pacific American Fisheries, um, there's a nice stretch of beach there. That's, I mean, it's rocky, but it's uh, it's a beautiful location.
0: I, I wanted to also celebrate and acknowledge the fact that um, this is completion of having all three members of the band D-plus on this program at different times. Plus, wind up happening.
4: Well, I had uh, been active with beat happening, and and really, I had never thought of myself as uh, being a musician, and kind of still don't. Um, but I was uh, interested in, started being interested in in following the logic of being in a band that had this, um, and all the bands I loved, where people just, well, I'm going to do my thing, you know? Um, And I'm like, well, maybe you should think about doing that yourself, Brett. (laughs) And so I, uh, but it's, some people come naturally to performance, and I didn't. And so it took me to kind of figure out how to overcome, you know, public speaking, um, you know, like I remember having a, a radio show at the campus station at Evergreen Chaos. And yeah. just even that where you're alone in a booth and you're, you know, speaking to an audience of maybe 12 people. That was still, you know, frightening to like, OK, I have to I have to just do it. And it's just forcing forcing myself to um, break through those barriers um, was uh something i i felt i owed myself and i was beginning to write songs and think about singing when i was still in beat happening but beat happening in my mind was so uh much heather and calvin's voice that i didn't it didn't make sense to me it didn't didn't feel right to enter into that with my voice and so i was thinking about doing my own and i I initially formed the group with um, Denise Crow and Rich Papritz when I moved back to Anacortes, and we did some uh, recordings and a couple of of performances at the business, and then it just kind of went into hibernation, and uh, when I started hanging out with um, Phil and Carl Blau, who were Around um, Ana Cordes and the and the business in the '90s, I just made sense to, to think about doing music with them.
0: Did you approach Phil Elverum and Carl Blau to, Yeah to join yeah. the group? Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay.
4: And um,
0: and you're like a respected, you're kind of the like kind of a curator of the local scene by that. Yeah, point. well, we you run the record shop. You got the record label,
4: yeah. And, and we had a studio in the back room, and so they were already hanging out and and doing things uh, there. And it just made sense to um, for me to oh, I want to I want to work with you guys. And it's been a great friendship, and and I learned so much about music, and obviously their music is um, well, it, it's very important to me, their, their work individually and with their other endeavors, and it's just great memories, and, and I'm happy to be able, have been able to, to um, pursue that with them. And, and you all still get
0: together, together on occasion.
4: Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, even with Beat Happening, I would, you know, neither band has ever broken up, they just uh-huh. have kind of, uh, they're just slumbering. No
0: so. shows anytime time recently, yeah. No. Yeah.
5: Be happening she play soon? soon that would be cool <laughs> yeah. maybe one day again
4: maybe. yeah mm-hmm. who knows
0: are you still, still writing songs
4: you know I I haven't been as much as I I used to and I I uh, it took me a w- I started doing books um in the aughts, I, I did research for some family histories. My my um, my mother's family is uh, her parents were Croatian immigrants from a, a little town called Bella Luca on the island of Cortula in the Adriatic Sea, and a, a lot of the people from Anacortes. I grew up in a in a uh, uh, remnants of an immigrant community of these these uh, fishing families, and so the the books that I imagined doing for when I was uh, coming here in the 80s um, and after I met met, um, uh, one bubble I was thinking about I want to do a book on one bubble Mm -hmm. I also was thinking I want to do a book on the Croatian community Mm -hmm. and so I started um, kind of just researching both of those and learning more, and, and then I started, oh, then, then the Harry Smith book idea just found me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and right. as I'm working toward becoming prepared to do a Harry Smith book, I can do the research on these other books where, um, so I did a, a book on on Anacortes history generally, which is a photo-themed book, mm-hmm. and then I did a book on the Croatian community called Croatian Fishing Families at Anacortes, mm-hmm. and learning how to do that, learn, working with Phil Elverham on, on that book and then a couple other books that I edited on Anacortes' history, um, that was a great kind of uh, continuation of our teamwork in the book realm. And uh, and so I just kept working my way up to to the Harry Smith book and then the, the research accumulated. And, um, and then I... I met uh, John Sved, who's a music biographer uh, who's working on a full-life biography of Harry Smith that should be out either later this year or next. Um, He's done books on Billie Holiday, Sun Ra, Miles Davis, Alan Lomax, and I met him a few years ago, and he was interested in talking to me about the research I'd done. And I thought about... I, I, I read his Alan Lomax book I thought this is he's the perfect person to be doing a full life biography on Harry Smith and I immediately thought well rather than just dumping my raw research on him I would conclude the book project that I had in mind which was limited in scope to his northwest years and just Passed all of my information along to him, and as you know, as I worked on the manuscript, and then uh, when I finished the book, gave that to him. And for whatever use he puts it to, you know. Yeah. And, but I just thought, um, me doing my book is is um, is it freed me to just concentrate on what I wanted to, because the idea of doing a full life biography of all of the things that Harry became too much for me uh-huh. yeah. uh, and so yeah. I was going to go all in on um, Anacortes and Bellingham in the Northwest era and and is and give to talk more about his parents and grandparents um, because that's a significant part of the approach I wanted to take.
0: Okay, well, you can get the book from Know Your Own Publishing. Yeah. and. Uh, it's a good read. There's a lot to it. And you can find links to all of Brett's various projects over the years and more about Know Your Own Records uh, if you go to this episode's website at lowprofilepodcast.com. Uh, thank you for setting aside time for this really fun Thanks thing. for coming to Cortis. Uh, look for Yeah. Thanks for
4: hanging
5: Always out. Always an excuse to come
0: to Anacortes. Great. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and you've been listening to the season five finale of Low Profile. We just heard an interview with Brett Lunsford, conducted by myself and co-host Madison Nadine. Andrew Ebright from Thurston Community Media engineered and filmed this episode. If you'd like to watch the video version of today's show, you can follow Low Profile on social media at LowProPodcast, or check out this program's website. That's lowprofilepodcast.com. You can find more about Brett's book at soundingforharrysmith.com. Much gratitude to Nathan Berko Gibson for painting portraits of all 15 of this season's episodes. If you want more Low Profile, in the meantime, I'm still hosting live episodes and concerts at Shirler Sundays in Olympia, Washington for the next five weeks. More info about that is at scherlerbeer.com. For those who can't make it, a lot of that's going to be released via this show on KAOS Community Radio, TC Media on cable TV, and online starting in August. Season 6 of Low Profile is already wrapping up recording, and the first episode is tentatively scheduled to drop on September 30th, 2022. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is the most effective means of growth for this type of thing. I'd love to hear from you, too. Please drop me an email anytime. I'm at lowprofilemarkley at gmail.com. I hope the rest of your summer treats you right. And ciao till next time. This weekend at Shirler Sundays with Markley Morrison, Jenna
1: Riffus. Find my way.
0: of new life.